When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. It defies belief that somehow Republicans in the Senate are reluctant to either review Russian tactics or ignore them. They have no idea if it's Russia or China or somebody. It could be somebody sitting in a bed someplace. The facts are stubborn things. They did hack into this campaign. I'm somebody that gets it. And nobody really knows it. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man currently raging on Twitter about the destruction of Aleppo. No, scratch that. He's raging about a negative review of the Trump Tower grill in Vanity Fair. I speak, of course, of the president-elect, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So here's a little thought experiment. What if a foreign regime weaponized its intelligence services to affect the outcome of an American election? And what if it did so to elect a candidate who would serve a foreign dictator's interests? And what if much of the news media acted as a passive accomplice to that authoritarian leader by widely disseminating stolen information, but not focusing that much on who stole it or why? And what if the sitting administration found out what the foreign power had done, but didn't retaliate or make that big a deal out of it publicly? And then, what if the candidate, aided by the foreign dictator, won a narrow victory? And what if the new president-elect said he believed the denials of the foreign dictator, not the powerful evidence presented to him by his own intelligence agencies? And what if a Congress, controlled by the incoming president's party, just wanted to sweep the whole embarrassing spectacle under the rug and didn't undertake an urgent or serious investigation? You've probably figured out that none of these are hypothetical questions. They're the story of what happened in and to the United States in 2016. It's a sequence of events that raises questions not about the potential threat to American democracy, but about whether we're living in a democracy right now. Only Congress can ensure that the laws still apply to the President of the United States and that the constitutional separation of powers has meaning in practice. And right now, it doesn't look like the Republicans who run the House and Senate are remotely up to the job. If you've lost your capacity for outrage over the past five weeks, it's time to get it back. Because if you don't care about Vladimir Putin throwing the election to Donald Trump, you don't care about democracy in America. I can't think of anyone better to talk about this than the exiled leader of the Russian democracy movement, the chess legend Garry Kasparov. I'll be back with him right after we do the tweets. If Russia or some other entity was acting, Why did the White House wait so long to act? Why did they only complain after they lost? Can you imagine if the election results were the opposite and we tried to play the Russia CIA card? It would be called conspiracy theory. Unless you catch hackers in the act. It is very hard 
to determine who was doing the hacking. Why wasn't this brought up before the election? Has anyone looked at the really poor numbers of Vanity Fair magazine? Way down, big trouble, dead. Graydon Carter, no talent, will be out. Just watched NBC Nightly News. So biased, inaccurate, and bad. Point after point. Just can't get much worse. Although CNN is right up there. My guest today is Gary Kasparov. He's the chairman of the Human Rights Foundation. He's a Russian pro-democracy leader. He's the former world chess champion. And he's the author of a book called Winter is Coming, Why Vladimir Putin and the Enemies of the Free World Must Be Stopped. It just came out in paperback. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks for inviting me. So I was doing a little research and I came upon this headline from CNN, October 21st, Kasparov. Russia absolutely trying to elect Trump. And they're more like this. I mean, you were saying this all fall. And now you're hearing people saying, why wasn't this a big deal? Why didn't we hear more about Putin intervening on Trump's side with these hacks on the DNC? You must feel a little frustrated. Oh, I hate saying I told you so. Uh, I remember when I uh, submitted my book to the publisher, uh, they liked the title, they liked the book, but they were not sure about the subtitle. Why Vladimir Putin and enemies of the free world must be stopped? They thought it would be too provocative, and, uh, you know, it's probably not substantiated. And uh, I remember that it's me and all many of my colleagues, uh, like late Boris Nemtsov, we have been telling uh, people uh, around the world that Vladimir Putin was our problem. But eventually it would be everybody's problem, because as every dictator, he would look for sort of a global stage to boost his uh, grip on power domestically, and uh, it was very natural for him to look at the United States as a kind of ultimate price for his dictator's pride to demonstrate that he was so powerful, so invincible, that he could defy the most powerful nation in the world. Isn't this just risky behavior, though, to have an, you know, as you have said, nothing happens in Russia that's important without Putin's permission. I mean, to have his intelligence agencies not only hacking the Democratic National Committee and more generally speaking, the democratic process for intelligence purposes, but to be actually intervening in the election. I mean, that surprises me as someone who wouldn't expect better behavior of him. It just seems dangerous. Look, um, Jacob, I think being a dictator uh, for life is a risky business. You're absolutely right. You know, if you try to judge Putin and Putin's actions, you know, from sort of from our perspective, you know, we live in a free country now and uh, we always look, you know, forward. We try to make kind of strategic calculations. Yeah, we'll be judging him wrong because dictator doesn't care about strategy. At a certain point, it's all about survival. It's all about achieving my goals today. And while he can make mistakes because, you know, he doesn't care about free press in, in his own country, there's no parliament that could, you know, uh, uh, examine his, his actions. You know, there's one deadly mistake that every dictator must avoid. is He cannot afford to look weak. Of course, it's risky to um, hack American institutions like the, the, the leading parties and, and, and even just to interfere with American um, election, political process. But it was inevitable 
because Putin made anti-Americanism and uh, uh, the challenge of, of America's influence in the world a core of his domestic propaganda. Uh, he saw a big opportunity because after so many years of weakness shown by Obama's administration, uh, Putin, you know, felt emboldened. That's why I was sure he would do it because uh, I read enough history books to learn that dictators, if they are not stopped at early stage, they eventually go off limit. And uh, Putin saw a big opportunity with, with Donald Trump, and he grabbed this opportunity. And uh, we know that uh, administration, Obama and um, the White House, the State Department, CIA, they received this report, and they, they have been sitting on it, you know, just trying to, to avoid an open conflict with Russia, because obviously there are many arguments why you shouldn't avoid these conflicts, and that was Putin's precise calculation. Let's just talk a little more first about what Putin was doing. If you, if you read this long New York Times piece this week about the details of what happened, they reported that two Russian intelligence agencies, first the FSB, which is Putin's organization, the successor to the KGB, and then separately Russian military intelligence, both hacked into the DNC. And if the story is to believe, one hand didn't know what the other hand was doing. I mean, it sounded at some level like a coordinated plot and at another level like a certain amount of chaos. Yes, but this is a kind of the coordinated chaos typical for dictatorships. Hmm. So that, by the way, proves that Putin was very much in the center because dictator you know, doesn't want one security uh, uh, structure uh, to become too powerful. And of course, you know, he, he wanted, you know, to have both or probably even more, you know, some, you know, other hidden uh, s- secret services to um, complete the same task because it could offer him a unique position sort of, of using this information at his disposal. Uh, again, it's another demonstration of the differences between democracies and dictatorships. That also sounded to me like a chess player's analysis. I mean, you're the greatest chess player ever. Is Putin playing chess or is he playing a different game? No, I, I always, you know, wanted to defend the integrity of my game when people said, oh, Putin played chess, Obama played checkers. <laughs> so it, uh, Putin, uh, as every dictator, he, he hates chess because chess is a strategic game which is 100% transparent. So I know what are available resources for me and, you know, what uh, kind of resources could be, could be mobilized by my opponent. Of course, I don't know what my opponent thinks about, about strategy and tactics, but at least I know exactly you know, what kind of resources available to cause damage to me. Um, dictators hate transparency, and Putin feels much more comfortable playing a game that I would rather call geopolitical poker. Because in poker, you know, you can win having a very weak hand, providing you have enough, enough cash to raise the stakes, and also if you have a strong nerve to bluff. Yeah. And Putin kept bluffing. Uh, I always said he was having a weak hand, but he could see uh, his um, geopolitical opponents, uh, the leaders of the free world, folding cards one after another. And for me, you know, the, the crucial moment where Putin decided he could do whatever uh, was Obama's uh, um, decision not to enforce this infamous red line in Syria, because then he sent a signal to Putin that it was time to sort of to re- redo the results of the Cold War. There should have been a red line about interfering in an American election. Why has that not been a red line for Obama and the Obama administration? I mean, why do you think they didn't react to to be more public about it before the election when they were hearing what everybody's hearing now? And why do you think they haven't retaliated seemingly in any way? Uh, I think, again, we should give Putin credit for for, um, 
evaluating the psychology of his opponent, you know, and it was a, a brilliant game he played against Obama administration, as successful as the game he played against Bush administration uh, when uh, he, he could charm uh, Bush 43 at their first meeting, and uh, we all remember these uh, famous comments about looking into Putin's soul. So uh, Putin knew how to sort of how to um, win confidence of of uh, uh, previous American president, uh, Bush 43, and uh, he knew at that time here uh, in 2014, 2015, that Obama would do absolutely everything to avoid serious conflict, uh, open conflict with Russia before the end of his presidency. And uh, uh, he, Putin, again, he had a very weak hand. American retaliation could be devastating for Russia, but Putin was betting on Obama doing nothing, sitting on his data, hoping that Hillary would win anyway. And then Putin believed that he could not just win uh, this battle, not just get the outcome he wanted, but also to send a message. Because Putin's role in, in, in America's election, it's not just only factor of American domestic politics. It's, it, it, it demonstrated to everybody, you know, to American allies in NATO, uh, to Arab uh, monarchists in the Gulf, to Chinese, to Japanese, to African nations, to Latin Americans, that Putin is so powerful, so... Um, arrogant uh, um, and so confident that he could intervene in, 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 in the American political process, and U.S. basically you now swallowed it. So, okay, you've explained Putin's aggression. You've explained Obama's underreaction. Now I want you to explain Trump's behavior. You gave this, I read an interview you did in Playboy. It was interesting partly because I didn't really know there still was a Playboy, but it was a very good interview. And you said, talking about Trump, and this was before the election, I think you gave the interview, um, for somebody who was inconsistent in almost everything, being so consistent in defending Putin raises my suspicions. I thought that was a really interesting observation. I mean, Trump's all over the map. He's a f- figure of chaos, but he's been amazingly consistent in being pro-Putin. It, the interview was recorded after the election. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, my mistake. So, uh, but, you know, but I said this you know, even before the elections. That, you know, it just I pointed out that for Trump, who flip-flopped on almost every major issue, being so consistent in defending Putin and at the same time dismissing U.S. intelligence reports is, again, highly unusual for, for any uh, uh, candidate of a major party, especially for a Republican, to go after CIA uh, or FBI and, and, and taking a word of, of KGB. But, um, again, there are two reasons. I mean, one is that and again, we don't know. It's, it's all allegations. But since we have no knowledge or almost no knowledge about uh, uh, the structure and the finances of Trump's empire, and uh, I think it was phenomenal, you know, success of Trump that he could, be, he could get elected without revealing sort of a, a true nature of his financial affairs. Whether, you know, he's a billionaire, maybe he's not, you know, whether he, he owes money to people, you know, in America or, or elsewhere. So we don't know, you know, whether the man who, as we all know, survived four bankruptcies and borrowed tons of money, uh, now he's just, you know, is about to become commander in chief, that, that he, he owes favors to um, maybe Americans force around the world. We don't know. Um, so maybe Putin has something that, you know, that is so vital for Trump that he didn't want uh, even to consider any conflict with Putin. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Uh, so, again, I think it's very important for Democrats and I guess for Republicans to press uh, uh, Donald Trump to eventually reveal his, tax, uh, his taxes, to show his tax uh, returns and to understand whether, you know, there's something in it that, you know, prevented him from doing it uh, during the campaign. 
And of course, there could be something else. There could be some kind of blackmail materials, you know, maybe recorded while Trump was in Moscow. I don't know. I can only speculate, and I don't feel very comfortable speculating. Is it compromise? Is that how you? Is that the term? Yeah, maybe. Again, yeah. he was in Moscow, Miss Universe uh, competition there. That, uh, and we know that uh, Trump eccentric behavior, you know, could lead to some sensitive situations that uh, might become, you know, part of a KGB recorded, you know, full motion movie. Again, I don't know. I just all speculations. But we're trying to find an, we're trying to find some kind of explanation for Trump's uh, constant denial of Putin's involvement uh, in, in American politics. And by the way, we we, wrote, we heard from this report, the MTA report, that Russians hacked uh, RNC server as well. And I have no doubt that they hacked Donald Trump accounts. They haven't revealed it, which again, you know, we could suspect. You know, they will use it more effectively later. But also, I think that Trump you know, uh, feels that he could do business with Putin. And that's what worries me, even more than, you know, any, any, any compromise that Putin might, you know, have in, 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 you know, uh, in his drawer on Trump. Because psychologically, Trump might feel also very comfortable with Putin, since for him, everything, you know, is, is, is up for grab and everything is up for, for a deal. So I wonder if he views Crimea as just, you know, a piece of real estate, you know, the hostile takeover of real estate uh, property, which he could trade for something else. Well, let me run another theory by you. I think it's consistent with yours. But after Trump's bankruptcy, American banks wouldn't lend him money. One of the places he had to look for funding was Russian oligarchs. And whether he took money from them or not, he spent a lot of time with them. And on issues where Trump would have no other point of view. I mean, Crimea would be meaningless to him. He got to know people who had strong pro-Putin views on these questions, and he kind of absorbed those views, and they matched with his economic interests. So that's what he thinks. Uh, absolutely. You know, it's, it, but now, you know, it's, it's what also troubles me, that in the midst of this scandal, you know, with, with American, you know, in, intelli- intelligence organizations revealing this data about... Uh, Putin's interference uh, in U.S. elections, uh, Donald Trump appoints Rex Tillerson as his Secretary of State. It's uh, basically, you know, just saying, so what? You know, I don't give a damn about this, all these relations. I'm, I'm picking up a man who is known to be the closest American entrepreneur to Vladimir Putin, being very friendly to Putin, and also having very strong views uh, on, on, on U.S.-Russian relations, Meaning that you know sanctions must be lifted, and U.S. and and, and Russia should you know uh, uh, be ready to do business uh, as usual. So for me, you know, when you start when you start combining all these facts, you know, I understand it's all consequential evidence, but you know we have on from the Putin side we have motive, we have pattern because Putin um, hacked not only American political um, institutions, but he has been doing it regularly in Europe. And if you if one dismisses CIA report. They also have to dismiss reports of many intelligence um, offices in Europe that's where, where uh, the same kind of attacks have been reported. So, and also the, the, there was an opportunity. We all understand that WikiLeaks, you know, was uh, uh, under direct control of KGB and information has been leaked, you know, exactly, you know, uh, at the schedule that was dictated by the election necessities. So when we have, you know, all these facts together, so I would say that in this case, the benefit of the doubt goes to uh, goes to CIA, and uh, I understand there are a lot of complaints and a lot of you know um, anxiety about uh, Trump's Trump's behavior and his appointment uh, of of Rex Tillerson, but I I think it's not enough because we are just we're entering a very very uh, 
dangerous uh, territory where um, American foreign policy could become a hostage of uh, business interests of people who had no, um, no other interest but just to promote their own agenda. So uh, the enemies of the free world you refer to in the subtitle of your book, do you think those enemies now include Donald Trump? I don't know. I mean, I don't want to call, you know, President-elect an enemy of the free world, but uh, he's definitely not uh, suitable for the, for the role of the leader of the free world because he just doesn't care. So the, the, the leader of the free world requires, you know, certain uh, um, belief in moral values that, that made uh, the core values that uh, uh, made free world uh, victorious in the, in the Cold War against communism. And it seems to me that we are now, it's kind of a post, you know, Cold War era where... Uh, America will be using its, its military might and its economic power to cut deals to, so to avoid uh, what Trump and, and, and Tillerson might call unnecessary confrontation. Uh, but eventually it will lead to, to, to disastrous uh, consequences because the world, leader of this world, without America playing its, uh, this role, you know, could be up for grab for uh, other players. So as a Russian pro-democracy leader, I mean, you live in exile now in the United States. You went to jail more than – was thrown in jail more than once. What's your advice to us as pro-democracy Americans faced with the possible loss of or real threat to civil liberties and, and democratic rights in this country? Now, first of all, you know, I think you should, you, people here should understand that, you know, nothing is for granted. So it's, there were many warnings in the past, you know, but – Every time, you know, I think it's uh, American and, and Europeans, they believe that, you know, it's, it's like a bad weather. It comes and goes. But, you know, the, the, the danger is real. And, uh, you know, I always want to quote Ronald Reagan, who said the, the freedom is never more one generation away from extinction. And uh, now probably it's, it's not even one generation. So it's, things can happen very quickly because uh, there's so much power concentrated in the hands of people who have very little uh, affection to... Uh, to the values that, that are making the core of liberal democracy and, and, uh, and the free world. But I still think that America, you know, has, has a huge potential to recover from this crisis. And uh, uh, I mean, let's not forget that still majority of Americans did not vote for Donald Trump. Some, sometimes, you know, I feel that maybe, you know, Trump's victory, you know, it, it's a push for, for us thinking about the future because Trump, uh, and that what brings him together with Putin and other um, global players that are not uh, sharing the same uh, values as we do, we are, uh, you know, he, he's always looking at the past as, as a model. So, and this is something that that's, that's, uh, should tell us that in order to win, we have to look in the future. And uh, our problem is that we have been trying to stick with the status quo. That's why anybody who is offering something different, even if, even if this um, sample, even if this ideal comes from the distant past, is always having an advantage. So when you look at ISIS, you know, talking about caliphate or Putin about, you know, all imperial polit- politics or Trump, you know, also looking back, you know, make America great again and saying you have nothing to lose. So we have to come up with, with a vision that could energize people, especially young people, to convince them that, you know, unless they take, take their future into their own hands and they start thinking about, about it, you know, just 5, 10, 20 years uh, ahead, Nothing is going to happen. Nobody's going to fix it. It's this democracy, you know, it's, it's not, uh, it's not uh, um, sort of the end of the process. It's just an instrument which could help us to uh, achieve our goals. 
I've been speaking to the Russian pro-democracy activist and the former world chess champion, Gary Kasparov. Gary, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you, Jacob. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network. And John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. Have you been enjoying this show? Well, maybe enjoy isn't the right word. But if you think it's valuable, you can leave us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can help support Trumpcast by becoming a member of Slate Plus. Over 5,000 people have signed up since the election which is one of the small victories we've seen for independent journalism. You can help us push that number higher. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. I have to tell you something. I talk to Vladimir Every day, he's never mentioned the hacking once. He's been very nice to me, very complimentary. Guy called me a genius. I don't think somebody who calls me a genius would hack my country. I don't think that would happen. Believe me. Believe me. It wasn't them. It wasn't them. It was probably some fat guy who weighs 400 pounds. He's sitting in in a, you know, a, a studio apartment in Jersey City doing this. It wasn't the Russians. Fat guy in New Jersey.